You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Breathe on us, breath of God, that my words would be your words, that our hearts would be aligned with yours, that we might love what you love and do what you would require of us. This we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, would you be willing to give up your rights, your freedoms, for someone else? That's the question that Paul poses to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 33, which is what we'll be looking at this morning. Whether it's your freedom to uh, voice your own opinions, your freedom to vote, your freedom to access information, your freedom of religious expression... Would you be willing to give up these freedoms for the sake of someone else? It's a very appropriate question to be asking this Memorial Day weekend. And for the past few chapters, Paul has been explaining that his duty as an apostle, but also as a Christian, is to not, is to not lord his position over people, but to become a servant of all people. He's been explaining how that applies to eating and drinking, and here he summarises that position. The freedom of the Christian life is not to be used for personal gain, but for the sake of others. In chapter 9, he summarises his thoughts in verse 19, saying, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. But this is not just an evangelistic strategy for Paul. This is the posture of the Christian life. We see this in verse 24 in our passage. Paul writes, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbour. As Christians, we're free people. Through Jesus Christ, we've been set free from the curse of the law, from sin and death. We've been born again and been given a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're no longer captives to evil, to sin, to our own selfish desires. We've been set free. And because our salvation is based solely on what Jesus has done for us, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that we can do to separate us from the love of God. We are totally free. However, for the Christian, our freedom isn't our highest good, isn't it? Our freedom is not the be-all and end-all of life. It's not the goal of the Christian life. The highest good for the Christian flows from the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Our highest good is not ourselves but the other, whether that is on the horizontal dimension, loving others, or the vertical dimension, loving God. And so our freedom is to be used to this end, to love others. Therefore the question, Paul says, of the Christian is not, Am I allowed to do this, but does it love people? Through my actions, am I building others up and loving them? And Paul applies this attitude of freedom for the sake of others all throughout this letter. Later we'll see that though we might be given great spiritual gifts, those gifts aren't to be used for our own selfishness, but for the sake of others. And this attitude of, means that our freedom has boundaries. So this attitude of loving others means that our freedom has boundaries. 
we limit our own freedom for the sake of others. Now, this might sound strange to you, but we actually do it all the time in our society, don't we? Just think about speed limits. Speed limits are a limit to our freedom to drive as fast as we want. But these limits are in place so that you can safely get to where you need to go. But think about if there was no speed limits, if there was no lane markings, if there was no traffic lights. It would probably be like you're driving on I-65, but that's nonetheless. These limitations are put in place so that you can get safely where you need to go, so we can manage the chaos of driving. It's the same with our laws of violence. We limit our freedom of violence in order that we might have freedom to live. You can't just kill any person that you want because violence limits another person's freedom to live. So we limit our own freedom to do whatever we would like so that others might live. And so just as it is in society, so it is with the Christian life. Though we are free to do all things, we limit our freedom for the sake of other people. Now in verses 25 to 30, Paul applies this and illustrates how this principle works for the Corinthians in their life. And he gives two examples. First, of buying meat at the grocery store and second, of going to someone else's place for dinner. In both of these examples, his principle is that because of your freedom in Christ, you don't need to worry about anything. We don't need to be conscience-stricken over the food we eat and whether it's been sacrificed to idols or not. In fact, his principle is really Don't ask, don't tell. I don't want to know where this meat came from. I'm free to eat it. It doesn't matter. Just eat whatever is given to you. And because you are free to eat anything, because the whole world belongs to God, just because something has been sacrificed to an idol, it doesn't change the substance of the thing. The meat doesn't become holy. It doesn't defile you when you eat it. Jesus explains this to the Pharisees. He says it's, it's not what goes into the body that defiles someone, but it's the heart and the things that come out of a person's heart that defile them. So we're free to eat whatever we want, but this freedom should be limited if it causes someone else to stumble. If someone thinks that through your actions you're worshipping a false god or false idols and leading them astray, then you should give up your freedom. So if someone raises the question of idol worship and whether the food has been sacrificed, then we sacrifice our rights, our freedoms. We put down our knife and fork so that we might not lead them to think that Christians worship false gods. This again is not about the meat or the food itself, but it's about the message that we're trying to convey. If what we do leads people to think that we worship idols, then we're sending the wrong message, aren't we? Things are just as easily caught as they are taught, is what the saying goes. So we need to be careful about what our actions say about us, that we don't send the wrong message. And parenting is a great example of this, isn't it? You know, there's try as you may, there's no way of avoiding your children becoming just like you. This is because we might try and teach them the right way of living, but they also catch the wrong way of living from the life that we lead. So they catch all your bad habits, 
But by the grace of God, they might catch some of your good ones as well. So think about what kind of actions your, your life is modelling. Do you pray and read scripture with your children? Are you modelling them the Christian life? I want, you, I want to encourage you to think about that if you do have young children at the moment. To read and pray with your kids. And, uh, but also, even if you don't have children, if you're a husband or a wife and you want to model the Christian life to your spouse, think about how you can be doing that, how you can encourage them through your actions, with your family, with your friends also. Because this goes for the rest of us. If we confess the gospel with our lips, but we deny it with our lives, what kind of message does that send to the rest of the world? Our freedom shouldn't be used for ourselves in our selfish game, but to build others up in Christ. This willingness to give our freedom up for the sake of others goes against the grain of our society, doesn't it? Our society says, I am the master of my own fate. I am the captain of my soul. But for the Christian, life is not an individual endeavour. We're meant for community. When Paul thinks about building others up, he presupposes that there's a foundation on which people can be built upon and a building in which they can be built into. And Paul is here talking about edification and building people up in Jesus Christ. This is a language that's common to Paul's writings. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And in Ephesians 4.11, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up of the body of Christ. The aim of our freedom is to build others up into Christ. So if we do anything to make people think that we participate with demons, then we're not building them up, are we? We're leading them astray. So again, the question of the Christian life is not, am I allowed to do this or that? but rather do my actions build others up? Do they witness to the message of freedom in Jesus Christ? Now in verses 31 to 33, Paul gives us the purpose statement for all of this. The purpose for limiting our freedom for the sake of others is that God might be glorified and that others might be saved. The whole of life is meant to glorify God even the mundane things of life like eating and drinking. Look at what he says in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the aim, the purpose, the the goal of the Christian life. And whatever we do should be to this end. Paul will talk about this in later chapters, that the way that we worship should be for the glory of God. The question is, why should we glorify God? Well, to glorify God is to make much of Him, to make Him known. And we're to make much of Him, to make Him known, because He is the true and living God. Because in Him we live and breathe, and in Him we have eternal life. We're to glorify God because by glorifying God, then we truly understand who we are because we can only understand who we are in light of who he is. 
And so by making much of him, by glorifying him, we understand how to live rightly in this world and we witness to the world how to live right in it. So this leads us to our second purpose for our freedom, the salvation of others. We see this in verses 32 to 33. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This has been a theme since the beginning of the letter, hasn't it? Paul's been preaching, Paul's preaching has been all about the cross of Jesus Christ, that he might proclaim the gospel, which is the power of God. A few weeks ago we looked at chapter 9 where he says that though he is free in Christ, he makes himself a servant of all, that he might win more of them. I've become all things to all people, he says, that by all means I might save some. Nothing should get in our way of leading people to Christ the rock. Anything that does is just a stumbling block. Even our freedom can become a stumbling block to someone's salvation. Therefore we have a choice, don't we? To, will we give up our rights for the sake of others or will we use them for our own selfish sake? And this is what Paul arguably sees as being the most loving thing to do. What do we mean when we preach, love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself? Well, it means that we submit to God's rule for our life, giving up ourselves to his service and the service of others. Our love for others shouldn't be just a nice feeling we have for them, but it's the sacrifice of ourselves for the good of the other. And the highest good, the greatest need of people is that they would know Jesus. Their greatest need is their salvation, that they might have a right relationship with God, knowing him truly and understanding their life in light of who he is. So in verse 32 when he says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, Paul's not talking about becoming a people pleaser because he warns against this type of preaching back in the beginning of his letter. Rather, we're to understand who people are, where they're at, and be able to translate the gospel into their language so that they might be able to hear it. We don't preach the gospel blazingly like a bull in a china shop, but we care about the other in order to build them up, that they uh, might be built up into Christ. And this might mean tearing some idols down to begin with in order they might be built up onto a proper foundation of Christ, the solid rock of salvation. So what Paul is saying is that though we are free in Christ, our freedom is not to be used for selfishness, but for the love of others, that God might be glorified and that people might be saved. But keep in mind we don't do this in order to gain favour with God. We don't do this to become good Christians. We do it in response to what Christ has done for us. We love because he first loved us. As we say almost every week here from Ephesians 5, 1-2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our doing is always in response to what he has done for us. 
It's the outworking of our faith in him, who though he was God, he gave up his rights, his freedom for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 11 says it this way, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gave up his rights, his freedom, so that you might be saved, so that you might be set free in him. How much more should we be willing to do the same? That God might be glorified and that people might be saved. This is the question that I want to leave with you this morning. How might your actions and your words build others up? How might they witness to the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? Maybe that can be your prayer this week. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the freedom we enjoy in Christ. We ask that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to give up our rights and our freedoms that we might glorify you and that we might proclaim the great freedom we have in Christ. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.